0: Welcome into School Science Radio. Joining you again, I'm Gino Ganiello, Uh joined by Chris and Adam. Guys, uh, a good weekend. I think a good result for us after the Chelsea after the Chelsea result, we'll talk. We'll get into that a little bit. A good weekend for all of us around with all of our teams uh, in general, and and uh, off to a uh, uh, helps us get off to a good start in this week, and uh, we're ready to dive into Chelsea.
1: You know it.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean uh, yeah. Talking about uh, the the performances so far against the top six on the road, on the road, right? Um, both at Arsenal and Manchester United. And before that, Everton played well, and they really, you know, it, Chelsea were the best of the three teams that we faced on on the road so far in terms of the top six. And Marco Silva, I think, treated it with respect, but he also did not he was, you know, deferring either to uh, to Mauricio Sari and Chelsea, which was nice.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think that that's, uh, it's ultimately kind of indicative of that Silva understands, uh, the place that Everton, uh, currently occupies in the Premier League that teams like Arsenal and Man United, who, you know, are traditionally top six, but definitely at the bottom of that group, even on the road are teams that are gettable. And we saw that in his approach and a team like Chelsea, not so much. So I think it's just off the top, really encouraging. Uh, as a fan to see that the manager understands, you know, okay, this is what my team is capable of and where it kind of fits into the premier league at large right now. And it shows, you know, he's got those top six goals, but not in a Roberto Martinez type sense where he thinks he can just, you know, go out and play full out attacking football against anybody we run into and be okay doing that because this team is better than last year's team, but we're not there yet.
2: Right, and with the last what, fifteen, twenty minutes match, it seemed like Everton were parking the bus, and I don't want there to be a a sense from the supporters that oh it's just Sam Allardyce all over again. We should have gone from the result. That was the smart play, honestly, at the end where, um you know you held Chelsea through the whole match to to fairly limited scoring chances, and then they really started cranking it up. Um towards the end, and if you if you open it up there yourself you're you're probably losing that game just based on the talent on the field and the way the Chelsea were humming and I think that getting a point out of that only twelve matches into the season was just smart rather than it was dull yeah, yeah and, and
1: i um i in in the the tactical post that I wrote this week that I think by the time listeners are listening to this will be up on on Royal Blue Mersey. Um, kind of spoke exactly to that. A couple of different points about Silva ultimately taking the defensive approach. And I think that you talking about Allardyce, uh, is an interesting one because it's, it's different for a couple of reasons from what we saw with Allardyce last year. And not the least of which is that, uh, it worked. Uh, <laughs> you know, Allardyce tried to park the bus against, uh, Tottenham and Arsenal at points in the second half of last year away from Goodison. At, 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 and uh, and we lost those two matches by a combined score of nine to one. So, you know, it, it's not just about having a defensive mindset. It's about understanding how that mindset's going to work and being able to actually execute it. And you feel a lot better, even if you are parking the bus, coming away with a point than uh, coming out and parking the bus and still getting your head handed to you.
2: Right. And and the, one of the differences to me is that you still felt like, or at least I did, that Everton were a threat to to make something happen on the counter. Um, and you never really felt like that a, a Silva has the team set up to where they can still create a chance out of nothing. And part of that is due to, you know, there's better players now, right? Bernard and Richarlison are, yeah. are certainly quick and dangerous. But uh, even when Chelsea were bringing the heat, which they certainly did, and I think... For, I would be, if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be very pleased about Sari's progress so far, but Chelsea still had to respect what Everton could do if they broke away. Whereas last season, that was just not the case at all.
1: Yeah. uh, Agreed. And, you know, having Richarlison up top again, obviously, you know, he brings a a different element in terms of being able to strike quick on the break. Um, You know, he didn't ultimately get a whole lot, uh, of opportunities. And, you know, maybe one of the biggest reasons for that is, is maybe uh, now that we've seen what the injury report is looking like for Gilfie Sigurdsson, he maybe didn't have as much of an attacking impact on the matches as you would have liked. And you do wonder if it comes back a little bit to that challenge he took from, uh, from Jorginho. That was relatively early in the match. If I remember correctly, first half, at least. Um, Uh, Yeah, it
2: was within the first, maybe 25 minutes or so.
1: Yeah. yeah um you know so I um, can we can talk about you know that that particular refereeing decision in a moment but especially when you consider that you probably had your number 10 you know hobbling around on one leg you're even more willing to look at what we did or did not produce in the attack and go you know it is what it is
0: Yeah and I think just from an overall standpoint I think I think we're all in agreement that we're pretty pleased with the progress just being despite only having one point against the top six. I think we can all agree that things feel different. I mean, we were the first team all season to blank Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, and, and that's a pretty good uh, feat to accomplish, especially defensively in a in a team that was nowhere near this uh, at the end of last season. Things have really changed around. and It feels like there's progress being made in the right direction. And, you know, the woes may not end this year, but it feels like, they will come to an end uh, relatively soon. But getting into those tackles and really the refereeing in, in general, it was a huge storyline from this match. I mean, you go on Twitter and, and you see people tweeting about it almost every, it felt like every two minutes. There was another tweet about how uh, Kevin Kevin Friend, ha- how he basically had a nightmare. I mean, early yellow card on Mina that probably wasn't a yellow card. Um, you know, the lack of red card when Jorginho absolutely took out and battered Sigurdsson, uh debated, and, and there's multiple pundits that you can find that, that thought that that could have been a red card. You know, seven red card, yellow cards in the match, complete. you think that this uh, affected the flow of the game? I mean, when the referee's that much involved, it's a lot of stop and start, and nobody can really get in the rhythm, and Adam will go to you on this one first.
1: Well, you know, I think there's two sides to it. Uh, one is that I think in terms of the... The couple of tackles in in this match that were the most violent, uh, they were Chelsea players on Everton players. Um, I'm I'm drawing a blank because uh, Theo Walcott also took it was from Marcus Alonso uh, a horrific tackle as well, where Alonso basically just planted his studs right into Walcott's ankle. Um, yes. And thankfully, yeah. it looked like Walcott was was up and and okay following yeah. that. But I mean,
2: I'll Alonso never, didn't even I'll get, get
1: called for a foul on that play.
2: Another um, yeah. Three, that's a red card. He just yeah. raked from behind on Walcott. And, you know, I don't want to be, I'm willing to be at least a little bit homer towards Everton, but like, objectively speaking, that's the type of foul that you get players sent off for all the time. Yeah. Um, and Golo Conte also Ooh. got a pretty violent, which, you know, th- that could be his style of play. I don't consider Conte to be a malicious player at all, but it was still borderline. And it was just, I felt like Kevin Friend never. Had control of the match or understood how to get it under control, and it really kind of tailed. It was a it was a bit of a tailspin there in the in the first half, especially.
1: Uh, agreed. And I think that as much as the uh, there were probably more Everton players on the receiving end of uh, questionable tackles than vice versa. I do think, as you said, Gino, because he never really got control, and there were lots of fouls, and it was never really got into a flow. Ultimately, when you're trying to park the bus, that kind of works in your favor, right? Uh, Absolutely. You know, if you're coming down the, the last, you know, half hour of a game and guys are still putting in tackles that are questionable and it's stopping every 45 seconds, well, that's good if you're happy with nil-nil. So as much as, uh, as especially if Gilfie's out long term, we're going to have some words for Kevin Friend about, about that. Uh, you do also begrudgingly have to admit that his admit his poor refereeing of the match probably helped Everton to a result a little bit in the end, just because it kept Chelsea from ever being able to get into a flow.
2: And that Jorginho tackle is probably the most ridiculous that I've seen this season in watching the Premier League. <laughs> so you have the you have the prototypical lunge. Both of his feet come several feet off the ground. He has his studs showing, and he goes for the classic scissor motion. It's just like if you if you drew up a, a horrific tackle, you probably couldn't do it much much better, worse than
0: that. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, you know, there was confusion over what the actual Jagielka call was, but you'd have to say that Jagielka's red card was less malicious than that. I I would think, just <laughs> from I mean. You know, he rolled over the ball. I mean, they are both coming in, and, and Jorginho came in high, was really, I mean, put Sigurds in a really dangerous spot, and and really, I mean, obviously clearly affected him throughout the game, and as we saw well, after Jack, the game as Jack, well.
2: Jack was going for the ball, at, at least in semi-good faith. Uh, Jorginho yeah. was nowhere near it.
0: Jorginho Jack. knew he was beat, is is what
1: it came down to. He got out-muscled by Gilfie, and he was a step away from being away on the break, and... uh You know, I I, I love a good tactical foul. I have a huge poster of Gareth Barry on my bedroom wall just tripping a guy who's about to run past him. I love me a good tactical foul. But there's a difference between tugging a guy's jersey, saying, yep, I'm going to get the yellow and just pull this guy to the
0: ground, and, you know, nearly taking him off at the the kneecap. (laughs) Yeah and and in the end what looks like injuring him and we'll we'll talk more about this from the guilt, from the guilty perspective you know that tackle put him in a walking boot as we saw um you know out of the Iceland squad for the international break if Everton are going to be without him for any time what is Marco Silva's move here because as we all know he's been a very integral part of that off, about that of that attack and and losing him uh, even not playing him in some situations as we saw Kieran Dell, you know attempting to fill that role has not worked out as well and Chris how do we address this situation if he's out for an extended period of time we have to replace him for a little bit so
2: I don't think and you just alluded to this I don't think that the answer is Kieran Dowell um, you know Kieran had a nice season last year with Nottingham and he has a good ability to get some shots off, but he does not provide that either the danger from set pieces or the penetrated passing that Guilfie provides much less Guilfie's world-class work rate in defense. And I think, and I'm interested to hear what Adam thinks because he's got a little bit more tactical understanding than I do, but I'm in my head. I think that if Guilfie misses the Cardiff game or God forbid the Cardiff game and the Liverpool game, I would be semi-inclined to go to a four, four, two, because we have Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, and I'm doing air quotes is a striker now.
0: Um, <laughs> we also
2: have Tosin, and I think that that's given the absence of another number ten, who you trust. I think that a four-four-two may be a little bit more ideal for Silva's personnel.
1: Yeah, it, it, you, you would love to be able to play the same system because, it, you know, there's a lot to be said for continuity and the 4-3-3 or the 4-2-3-1 or however you want to describe what, what Silva's playing, you know, has clearly worked for the team and they're they're comfortable in that system. Um, but we just don't have a guy who who can play in that most advanced role at this level. As you've rightly said, I don't think Kieran Dow is there. And we don't even really have a player who can kind of fake it at that spot, like – and I can't believe I'm about to say this uh, – like you would say of, of like a Ross Barkley type of player who you look at and you say, he's not a 10, but I can squint hard enough and see him as a 10, in a, as the most advanced in a midfield three for a couple of games in an emergency situation. We don't really have that type of player either.
2: Um, no. So and, if and, – to your Sorry. point there, um, it bears noting that Andre Gomez has locked down the the kind of number eight rule, and you you need his deep progression of the ball more than you would want to experiment with him in the 10. Tom Davis is not a good enough attack. Bernard trying to – and I mentioned Bernard only because the large section of the fan base is for some reason clamoring to see him play in the middle – um if you tried to put Bernard in the center of midfield against um Cardiff City
1: he would the, die
2: yeah <laughs> he would be hospitalized and that's no slight against Bernard even though he is uh, well slight
1: yeah <laughs> yeah no and uh you're completely right so i i i agree that i think 442 is is probably the way that that you've got to go um the thing that i think works in Everton's favor if it has to go down that way, um, is that obviously, you know, as we've said, in attack, we are very much a four 3 3 We're pushing the wingers high and letting them cheat in a little bit to fling those those fullbacks forward. Gilfey gets into the attack, but the other two midfielders in that three really do not. And that's kind of the, the format for the Everton attack. And that will need to change. Defensively, though, and we saw it, probably in a more pronounced fashion this weekend than we had all season. Defensively, this is really a 4-4-2 because the wingers, uh, you know, the the wide guys in that front three really drop in. And when we're in defensive posture for long spells, they drop in really alongside the two holding midfielders. And Gilfie just kind of slides up next to Richarlison or whoever the striker is rather than necessarily always behind him. And I, I talked again uh, about this uh, in my, my post for this week where what kind of happens there is Gilfie's spot presses when the ball is, you know, is up the field. But then once it gets behind that front two, he just kind of has what I call the free defensive role which is basically that you know he's not got any specific defensive responsibility he just kind of run around runs around the midfield and creates havoc and tries to win the ball uh I, to me Everton has a guy who can kind of do that from that position and Dominic Calvert-Lewin a guy who's who's shown to have a high work rate who is quick who is bigger and stronger than than Gilfie, and who's going to be be willing to kind of drop into the midfield and, and run around and wreak some havoc, uh, if that's what it comes to. Less consequential for the Cardiff game, and you expect that we'll have a lot of the ball. But God forbid if Gilfy doesn't play against Liverpool, then that is probably a thing that you want to see Calvert Lewin in, in the game to do.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I think that we'll, we'll talk about Cardiff more in a minute. But I think that the prudent play here, without Gilfy, is probably dropping Bernard as well and moving Richardson. Back to his natural position and just going Dom and Shank up top. I don't know. Um, against Cardiff, just, I just might. Uh,
1: against Cardiff, I might be inclined to to still lead with Richarlison at the top and play with Bernard on the left because I know. I'm not really worried about what Cardiff is going to do to me in attack. You know they're just going to be looking to play us on the counter, and you know they're going to be sitting deep. So the idea, at least in theory, of having uh, – I, I might go over Charleston and shank up top against Cardiff because that gives you, I think, the most ability to pass through a, a team that you know is going to be compact at the back because you've got Bernard's playmaking ability on the left, you've got Shanks uh, uh creative ability from that striker position at the top, and then you've got uh you've got Richarlison's ability to, you know, do what Richarlison does. Um but time will tell. I in an ideal world it won't come to that and will be ready for Cardiff and that'll be
0: that. Yeah, yeah agree. Yeah absolutely absolutely and and you know we think forward to Liverpool, you know, that, that's a, a topic for a different day, but hoping Gilfie is ready for that as well. Cause again, he has been an important player for us. And I think obviously, you know, there's, there's obviously a toss up as to what we do, um, tactically against Cardiff, but I think for the most part, and we'll, we'll get into this. I think for the most part, um, whoever we end up going with out there, if Gilfie is out, um, we'll probably uh, suffice for at least that game but going into Liverpool will cause a little bit more of a problem. But back to uh, the Chelsea game, there was one situation I think that, that was interesting to all of us. Uh, Silva, he uh, decided to bring on Jagielka late in the game to, uh, I, it seem like, you know, sew up a, a, a tie in this one and uh, get a point out of it. What did you guys think of this? And Adam, we'll go to you on this. How do, how do you think that, what do you think about this decision to bring Jagielka on late in this game and really kind of sew up a result um just from a I guess a pure perspective of it being Jagielka in general and uh you know how the tactics then came from there.
1: Um well I you know I think that with Zuma out of the equation the third best center back on this team is still probably Jagielka you know we can have a an argument Between who's better uh, with Jagielka and Holgate, but it's semantic because the only time it's going to matter the rest of the season is the next time we play Chelsea because the top three are going to be some combination of Keen, Zuma, and Nina the rest of the way. Um, My initial reaction when he made the sub, um, which I think is probably most people's reaction, was ew, gross. I don't like this. It makes me feel icky. Um, But you know. Logically, at that stage of the game, what did he get? I think it was like the set. I think it was the 79th. Uh, I think he. Yeah, Jags played 11 yeah. plus plus added time. At that point in the game, especially as Chelsea is continuing to throw pressure at you, it's probably the right move. Um, it gets you a vocal guy in Jagielka who plopped right into the center of that back five between Keane and Mina, who have not, you know, don't necessarily have that, that strong of a partnership yet just because I haven't played that much. It gives you another guy who's going to be vocal on set pieces, which, again, we know has been an issue for this team. Um And it doesn't – it didn't excessively change what we were going to be able to bring going forward because anything that we were going to do going forward was going to be through the long ball anyway or quick on the counter. And it was always going to be trying to get Calvert-Lewin in behind or in over the top um, past the the Chelsea center backs. And I don't necessarily think that uh, you know the configuration of the midfield was ultimately going to impact our ability to get a chance that way or not. Ultimately, we didn't, but I don't think that has anything to do with the decision to go to a back five at that point.
2: And it also bears noting that the Jags came on for Gilfie, and in hindsight... Which is obviously always 2020 and that kind of thing, but Guilty was hurt. And so you look, if, if you consider needing to take Guilty off at that point in the match, you can kind of con- consolidate your losses for lack of a better term and just say, okay, I don't have anybody to bring on for Gilfie because I've used Dom, I've used, um, Lookman at this point. Let's just get out of here, um, w- with a point. And yeah, Jag. Thing, but as Adam said, he's a communicator, he's a coordinator, and I, it didn't end up going as badly as I thought it could have when he came on. And I don't know that there's anybody else really that I would have rather seen in that situation where you have to take Guilty off. I suppose you could have brought on Tom Davis for Guilty and just told Tom to sit a little bit deeper. But, you know, Tom is – I still trust Phil more than Tom in terms of mistake proneness, and so it's hard, it's hard to be upset about it considering the circumstances, I think, is the, is the main takeaway.
1: Yeah, Phil brought more defensive solidity than Tom would have without, uh, and if you think that Tom would have brought a, a better chance to nick a late goal than, than bringing on Jags did, it's, it's certainly by nowhere near as much as Phil is the better option to Tom defensively speaking. Um, so I've got no problem with it. I would suspect just based on, you know, knowing what this opponent was going into the week and knowing that we didn't have Zuma, I would suspect that Silva had to have worked with those guys at some point during the week and just worked on this as a possibility late in the game, particularly if we were late in the game and ahead, that he would have wanted to have been prepared to to put Jags in the middle of Keen and Mina. So I seriously doubt that that was something he just sprung out of nowhere on those guys. They looked like they were ready for it, that everything was composed. There wasn't a whole lot of confusion. Everybody knew their spot. Um, So in the end, it did exactly what you wanted it to. So tough to complain.
2: And if Phil came on and immediately starts directing traffic, which kind of puts you at ease, right? Like, uh, you have to think that Jordan Pickford at least felt better with Phil directing traffic out there.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was just about to actually mention that, that, you know, Jagielka, he has the experience, and in a situation like that where you're not putting him out there for a significant period of time, um, you know, he has that experience on how to lock up a game like that, especially against a team that has the attacking power that Chelsea had, um, you know, and, and you know, obviously his speed worries you a little bit, especially, you know, balls over the top, but Um, played pretty well there. His leadership was, was great. And I I think that, you know, it was the right move overall. And, you know, I think in hindsight, we all can agree that, you know, a zero zero result is, is perfectly fine with us, but just a couple of things to wrap this up and we'll start with, uh, with the demo lookman. I mean, you know, he's been terrific over, uh, his past few substitution, uh, appearances. Uh, pretty played pretty well again. Against Chelsea, and, and you know that dribble move by him was was just something else. And I, you know, I'd like to hear what you guys think about you know obviously the move, but also about his progression from week to week now, um, since you know the beginning of the season when his attitude and, and you know mindset was all out of whack, and now it seems like he's figured it out. Chris, we'll go to you first on this one.
2: I believe that it was Cesar Aspillacueta and either David Luiz or Antonio Rudiger that Lookman victimized in the second half. Mm -hmm. And that, that got me out of my seat. I think I sent maybe a, like a key smash style text to Adam at that point where Lookman gets past one guy. And then the next guy is just dead on arrival. He, he's kind of slaloms past him and gets to the touchline as it, and is able to provide a cutback. And it was just, is really the type of thing that you haven't seen from Everton in the, in the past few years since Jared De La Feu was running the touchline. And as much as I love De La Feo, Lookman has a little bit more directness about him. And now that it seems like his attitude is, is in order, if you will, yeah, you almost feel like Bernard's time as a starter is, is coming to an end, right? Because Lookman, man, he has just, just this combination of ability and guile that is, is hard to match a, across the entire team. You know, Richarlison is big and strong and quick, but he can't do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Lookman has done a good job of really finding himself in this season and and really done a, you know... I think he deserves a, a spot in this team somewhere. I'd like to see him, you know, start a game and show him what he's got through 90 minutes uh, because he has been playing very well. And, and it's a great situation to have. You know, if we were doing this last year, we would not be having the type of conversations that we're having right now about Lookman and Walcott and Bernard and Richarlison and the three strikers up top and, you know, the center backs in the back. You know, the type of stuff that we're discussing now in terms of personnel is... I have to say a sigh of relief out a big sigh of relief for a lot of Everton fans, because, you know, we didn't have this and we haven't had this for a while. And the, the selection problem is one that I think all of us would gladly take on um, as we, as we move forward because having that many options is, is always a good thing.
1: Absolutely. Right. And I, I, I've just, uh, I've just had a bit of a fever dream idea here. So bear with me uh, <sighs> involving Adam Olookman. Uh, so if we suppose that Gilfie cannot play against Cardiff, uh, you, you feel like, and, and you feel like separately from that, that Lookman has probably earned himself a spot start at this point. Um, and I, I'm almost wondering if maybe the, the best approach to try to get something different out of everybody, um, if we start, if we move Richarlison back over to the left um, and start one of the true strikers up top, put Lookman on the right and just play Walcott in the hole behind the main striker. It's it's a position that he's played before. He's He's not quite looked himself of late. I think it would be an opportunity for him to get on the ball a little bit more and to get more involved in the game, which I think would be a help for him right now. And the idea of you know either Chenk or or uh, Dom along with Lookman, Walcott and um, Richarlison coming at that Cardiff defense uh, is an interesting one. Um, whether or not Marco would ever actually decide to throw Walcott into the center like that, I have no idea but based on what Lookman has brought recently I certainly wouldn't hate to see that configuration if Gilfie can't go in a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Theo and I'm thinking maybe Chank up top because of his you you kind of want somebody to at least mitigate the lack of creativity with Gilfie out so you have Chink mm-hmm. in there bearing kind of some of that burden and Richardson left and Theo up top with Chink and Lookman on the right. That's just a lot of different ways that you can play. It's a lot of different angles that you can go after, and I, so put it this way: the way that Everton's attack has clicked at points in this season, somebody at some point is due for an ass whooping, and I'm afraid that it might be Cardiff.
0: <laughs> that would be uh, that would be pretty nice uh, for sure. And I, I think you're right. I mean, I think the attack. Again, goes back to the personnel situation where we have all these players. It's great to be able to kind of brainstorm like this and see, you know, who could fit where and see what Marco is going to be able to do uh, on the weekend. You know, obviously we don't want Guilty out, but the fact that, you know, we have some of these attacking players who have brought so much promise to the team week in and week out, it's, uh, you know, it's a great thing to have. But moving now to the defense, again, a situation that is looking much better than it was than it did last year and and specifically we'll talk on Mina here to kind of wrap things up his debut was this weekend goal straw against Chelsea I'd say it's pretty good what do you guys think Adam we'll start with you on this one how how'd Mina perform in his debut and what do you see from him coming going forward
1: um I thought he looked composed um didn't feel like he was uh he was a guy who hadn't played with the guys around him all season, which was certainly my fear uh, coming in. Kind of like Zuma, he's got the athleticism such that uh, I didn't feel like I noticed him a ton because he's quick to get into the right place. But he's also smart, clearly, and and good positionally. Um, and he was good with the ball in his feet, which – is, you know, you see a big lanky center back and sometimes that strikes you as a little bit uh, peculiar. You certainly wouldn't say the same of Michael Keane, who he's built similarly to. But, uh, you know, Yeri Mina did sign for Barcelona once. So we, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised that he was comfortable with the ball in his feet. Um, outside of that, I don't know how much more there is to say than that he came in. And did a did a job against a difficult opponent. Um, and I'm optimistic that he can continue to build on that going forward and definitely push uh, Zuma and Keen for one of the one of the starting spots. It's definitely very much up in the air for me going into the Cardiff match that all three of those guys at this point have staked a claim to be a starter.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with Adam there in his general assessment, and I. I think I would probably lean going Mina and Keen again against Cardiff just because of the opponent and given that Kurt and Michael have already built a rapport, if you will, Cardiff is a good opportunity for Yeri Mina to continue doing that with Michael Keen, especially considering, and this is no slight to Zoom, obviously it's not his fault, but just the investment that you have in Keen and Mina, it behooves you to develop that a little bit further. The one thing that I will say that I noticed about Yuri Mina is that I think he's, he's got a little bit of a hotter head in, the, in that he's got some rashness in the way that he tackles and it didn't end up hurting us. Um, again, the yellow card that he received was a little bit sketchy and I'm sure that's something that could be coached out of him, but he he's a little bit more excitable than the other two center backs that have played this season. Yeah. yeah but I, I, I,
0: oh, Go ahead, Em. You know, Credit
1: to him, though, I uh, agree with that general assessment, but you also have to say he took a yellow that was, you know, questionable, and he obviously uh, disagreed <laughs> with Kevin Friend's assessment of that tackle, but there was never really a point after that where he ever got nervous that he was about to compound a stupid mistake with another one and get himself sent, um, which is uh, encouraging uh, that. You know, even if he's a guy who's gonna take the yellow from time to time, he's smart enough to know when he's gotta really be careful. Uh because we can't have him getting sent off.
0: Yeah. No, you you absolutely, I mean he does have that little fiery attitude, but he, he performed well, I thought. I thought he did a, a good job defensively and, and it you know, raises the question of how we're gonna go moving forward. Um but overall um a good debut for him i think that's something i mean against a gr- a great team uh you know his first action all season say went went well if not better than than expected um and and things are looking up for him and and the rest of uh the squad in that defense moving forward but breaking out of cardiff now and moving into the uh moving into a little bit of you know, some fun questions, or excuse me, bringing out of Chelsea now, moving into some little fun questions here before we go into Cardiff's preview. Let's talk about the January transfer window a little bit. You know, it is upcoming. We're only in November, but it's quickly approaching. And uh on that topic, Fard Moshiri, uh, Moshiri our, our owner, said, Um, we bought a lot of players, and this is a, a direct quote from him, we bought a lot of players. I think we will do well, well to bed in the players we have got which makes it sound, um, and uh, end quote, and then which makes it sound uh, like the winter spending will be limited for Everton. And I'm interested to hear, Chris, we'll start with you. Do, you. do you guys think Everton need to do anything in this winter transfer window? Should they? And if you do believe, um, what would you want them to do?
2: So I think that my general answer is they don't need to do anything, and we'll see how the next couple of weeks develop. I, I'm just pretty pleased with the depth of the squad, the talent of the squad, and the options that Marco Silva has available to him. There is a you know, there is a concern that Kurt Zuma and Andre Gomez will not be back, and they're obviously two very key members of the squad. But that's maybe something that you worry about later. If, if I was to say that Everton needed to do anything, I think that my answer would be at right back. And not that Seamus Coleman has really put a foot wrong this season, just that uh, I'm not confident in the cover that we have there. If Seamus goes down, John Joe Kenny is currently hurt, and we're not really certain how good he is to begin with. And I'm not saying that Everton need to do a, a Lucas Denier situation or or even an Aaron Wan-Bissaka type of purchase. Just something something to kind of reassure that situation on the right flank to where if Coleman goes down, you have, you have a more reliable deputy than Kennedy than um, Joshua Kinney.
1: Yeah. uh, yeah, uh, Right back was one of the things on, uh, on my radar as well. I I don't to to answer the original question. I don't think that Everton needs to do anything in January. Uh, As Chris has rightly pointed out, um, you know, there are, potential holes in the center of midfield and at center back if, uh, Gomes and, uh, Zuma are gone at, at the end of the season. Um, but ultimately that's something that you deal with at the end of the season when you, I think Everton would be happy to bring both of those guys back. And if at the end of the season, it turns out that they cannot, then obviously those are holes that you look to fill. But for now, uh, They're here and they're here to stay to the end of the season. So I don't see any issues at either of those positions. Um, I think that the only other position at which something interesting maybe could happen is at striker. Um, but again, I think that that's something that ultimately waits until the end of the season when we have a little bit more clarity about what the situation is there. Um, you know, we've got options. Up top without a doubt in Richarlison and Dominic Calvert Lewin and in Shank Tosin who are Premier League level players at that position and but none of them have absolutely without a doubt staked their claim to that position. And I I don't suspect that in the next six to ten weeks anyone will, you know, really plant their flag there and say, you know, this is my spot going forward. But I also think that the continued combined play of those three will be more than good enough to have Moshiri and Brands and Silva say, we're happy with this position for now. Let's go through January to the end of the season looking at these three guys and having these three guys fight it out for that position. And then at the end of the season, we can reevaluate and say, okay, is one of these guys our guy going forward or two of these guys our guys going forward at this position? If so, then great. If not, then maybe that's something that we look at over the summer. I I only mention it because it's the position where I could even see an outside shot where they might do something, but I would call it a very, very small chance and more something that gets looked at as things progress through this season into the summer.
2: Yeah, I agree with you regarding the striker, and I, I would say that I probably should have mentioned the number 10 position given w- what we men- mentioned about Kieran Dowell earlier. And there has been some whispers, if you will, about Dowell going back out on loan in January given that he's not playing much. And especially since has got has played so often and now gotten hurt, it might be interesting to see if you can find somebody to help with that position. But again, I... I would really not be surprised if Everton kind of just slowed up the spending this, this winter.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the idea of having a guy who could back up Gilfie for the second half of this season and, you know, and send Dowell out on loan, which I think is probably where he needs to be right now, uh, is appealing. But ultimately you're kicking the, you're kicking the Dowell can. Down the curb another six months, and now you've got a real problem when, uh, when next season rolls around where you know Gilfie's still your guy at that position. And now Dowell is a year older, uh, you know, a year closer to being out of that prospect range and into that, you know, is he or is he not a player who can play at this level range while well, you've still got another body at that position that you're now trying to balance and find minutes for as well. Um, so I, I would suspect. Again, un- unless the club knows something about that injury to Guilfi that we don't, that Silva and Brands will be happy enough to say, we've got enough strikers and enough wingers that we can shuttle into the middle or pretend that they're strikers and play a four-four-two. Uh, 4 that if we lost Guilfi for a period, we could survive. Uh, and they'd rather stick with that than bring in a body who in six months, I don't really know what we would do with. And I don't think that they're looking to spend more money uh, after all the money that's been spent over the last two summers on a guy who's a a four-month solution uh, to a problem that may not even be a problem.
0: Yeah, and I I think that we're uh, in in the type of situation – there's a fine line between competition and having too many players on the squad and, and really causing problems in terms of man management. I think we're right at about there at that fine line. And I think that the squad in general, it, we've been having these personnel discussions week in and week out about who should be where and, you know, having these options. And I think that, you know, obviously there are some situations that, you know, could be enhanced a little bit, but I don't think they're overall um, absolute desperate spend in January situations uh that we need to worry about right now. And uh, of course, Zuma, Gomes, the the lone players, those are are, are problems that we can address in the summer, but, going into that realm and then I guess, you know, jumping another six months forward into the summer, given the choice for you guys, and, and I have my answer on this already, but I'm interested to hear what you guys say before I give mine. Um, if you can only keep one permanently, would you rather have Kurt Zuma or Andre Gomish? And Adam, we'll start with you. Uh, it's
1: a tough one um, because I've been, I've been impressed by both. Um, I think that, Andre Gomes fills a need that is probably bigger based on the current squad that we have. I think we need a player like him in the center of midfield more compared to the other players around him than we do Zuma uh, at center back, given that we now have Keane and Mina who have both looked, you know, pretty good overall. Um, Gomes is 25. Zuma is, I think, 20, 23, uh, 24, excuse me. He's 20, he just turned 24 in October. So the age difference is, is not that, that significant either. So I, I lean Gomes, which I think is good because I think he's the one who's much more likely to stay. Um, because I think it's harder to find a quality ball progressing midfielder who can also play a fair bit of defense, who is going to be looking to play at a club like Everton. Guys who are good at the things that Andre is good at, uh, but just a little bit better than them than he is. Those are guys who, you know, exclusively play on teams that are competing in the Champions League, you know, into the knockout stages year after year. Uh, Those guys don't grow on trees and not that center backs do either, but it's easier to find a third center back, which you could argue is what Zuma is or could be by the end of the season, uh, than a first choice uh, ball progressing midfielder.
2: Yeah. It's, it's not particularly close for me, actually. I'm going Gomez the whole way. I think that he is kind of what Everton have been missing in the midfield. And that's no disrespect to either Kurt Zuma on the other side of this discussion or, Morgan Schneiderlin or Tom Davis, I just Gomez has this ability to kind of link everything together and complement Idrissa Gay very well. And as Adam mentioned, Kurt Zuma is Kurt Zuma has a a more replicable skill set than Gomez does. And for Everton, the value there is in being able to find that ball progressing midfielder rather than the big center back who can stay unnoticed if you will it, you know Mason Holgate has all of Kurt Zuma's physical qualities and none of his mental qualities but you can find somebody similar on the transfer market uh, we can replicate Andre Gomez next summer than I am that we can replicate Kurt Zuma.
0: just a, a quick
1: aside uh what what mental qualities does Mason Holgate have uh are, are there any I'm not sure I don't think that there are are there Sorry, I had to do it. He brought him up. I couldn't help myself every that's, chance I'm every gonna be chance. quiet now that's my uh, fault well his his yes.
2: his mental faculties don't um translate to Twitter very well and they don't trans- translate to the football field so i you know <laughs> we're we're running out of options anyway.
1: Meanwhile, back at the ranch <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Go back, go back to a guy. I mean, I agree with both you guys. I think Gomes is is the guy that I would keep out of both of them just in the, you know, as of right now. And again, this all could change by next summer. I mean, you know, there's so many things that could happen uh, that really cause, um, you know, cause things to change and our answer to this to change. But as of right now, Gomes is the guy that, you know, we've been looking for for a while now and, and we found a guy who could fit that role, advance the ball from defense to, to attack and, and play that role relatively well. While with Zuma, un- unfortunately for him, Mina and Keen seem like they're off to a good start as a partnership and seem like they can be serviceable as a, a center back pairing and, and can, can really take over that role making Zuma, I guess um, a little less uh, important to take on permanently if we have a choice. But, Moving on now to Cardiff. We talked a little bit about it already uh, as in terms of whether we're going to have Gilfie or not, the situation we're going um, to – the tactics we're going to use, the formation we're going to use, and the situation we're going to be in. Uh, but let's talk about Cardiff, the team, first. You know, I don't think they're as bad as we thought they were going to be, especially the way they started off the season. Um, I, You know, they they have come out here a little bit, been pretty feisty, um even despite still being in a relegation spot um they got 13 uh it's the, their expected goals is 13 and uh their expected goals against is 18 um you know not great numbers but i'm interested chris are they not as bad as we thought or are other teams just really bad and worse than we thought
2: i i honestly think it's a little bit of both right because there are a handful of teams that are really bad that Cardiff are benefiting from. Um Fulham are the main example. They're just they look like one of the worst teams to have come up from the championship in in a handful of years. Southampton are terrible, Crystal Palace who we at least I expected to be better than they are are terrible. Burnley are not replicating what they did last season when they um qualified for europe, so it's easy to say that Cardiff have benefited from that, which I think they have but Neil Warnock's pragmatism has kind of worked so far and i mean if you're if your aim is to come up get one or two seasons of the you know the broadcasting slash t v payment and and consolidate from there, they're doing a good job of it and I don't you know, it's it's awful. I guess I wouldn't really be that shocked at this point if they nicked 16th or 17th. Then we're still here.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think I think when you you look at at the bottom of the table right now, um, you see Newcastle, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Southampton uh, are the teams directly above Cardiff. Cardiff's in 18th, and then Huddersfield and Huddersfield and Fulham are 19 and 20. It's, it's hard for me at this point to see Huddersfield or Fulham not getting relegated, obviously very early in the season, but those two teams I think have been far and away um the two worst teams in the league so far this year. And then, you know, you're talking about comparing Cardiff to a, a Southampton, a Newcastle, um, where you're seeing other teams that are struggling pretty mightily. And, as, as you pointed out on the expected, expected goals and expected goals against, you know, it was 18 expected goals against. They've conceded 25, which is, you know, it's, it's a big friggin' difference. Um, usually you, you do expect teams that are bad and Cardiff, even if we're not going to say that, even if we say that they're better than we thought they were going to be, they're still bad. Um, you expect bad teams to underperform their expected goals and expected goals against a little bit but that's that's a big difference you know that's that's a the 50% they're giving up 50% more goals than you'd expect them to uh, you do wonder if maybe there's a a regression of maybe a progression to the mean in that case where they they come back around a little bit and start to get a little more luck in terms of defensively and if that happens well you know, then you're looking at a team that is probably better off than Southampton or Newcastle, and I think that the the biggest thing is when you looked at their at Cardiff's roster at the start of the season, you thought, who the hell on that team is going to score goals? But so far, they've got more goals than Newcastle, Palace, Southampton, and Huddersfield. Um, so if if that creation of goals is is something that can be sustainable, which as you again have pointed out, the underlying numbers say they might be. They're, they're going to be better offensively than those teams too, and you'd expect over the long run then maybe they'd be all right.
2: Well, while I don't disagree with what you're saying, it should be noted that uh, Cardiff's game winner – which i think came off the against brighton on saturday which i think came off eventually the boot of uh, sol bomba which you know no bomba sol bomba hey <laughs> um, that that had to have uh, inflated their expected goals tally by at least a little bit considering how many chances they had to put that circus goal away
1: I had forgotten about what that goal was until you had just mentioned it, and I had seen the highlight. You're right; they probably put up like 1.5 xG just from that that exchange alone. But still, you know, even with that, uh, the numbers are better than you would have expected them to be. Absolutely. He, he, yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: And and you know that that goal was that goes. Nuts! Watching that uh, <laughs> uh, on replay, just crazy how that ball did go in at first, um, but finally ended up getting in the net. Uh, but I, I agree. I think you know at the beginning of the season, a lot of people were talking about Cardiff, and, and they looked pretty bad. But I think that the team has progressed pretty well, um, come together, and and really shown that they can do some things. You know, probably not securing any massive upset wins, but doing enough maybe to to stay out of relegation and and get. Um, you know, stay up for another season, but just from our perspective now, you know, another team coming to Goodison, another team with this tight defense, uh, you know, defense, it's going to stay back there, you know, not really pressure us offensively, going to, going to just kind of lay a brick wall down there. And this is another opportunity for us to break down, you know, that, that low block at Goodison. And obviously there are questions about Guilty which will play into this a little bit, but uh, Adam, we'll start with you. How do you feel about our our chances of, you know, being able to break down this, um, I guess, with Gilfie and without Gilfie?
1: Well, it's it's an interesting test, isn't it? Um, you know, I think that given the the results from earlier in the season in, in these kind of home games against Palace, against Fulham, uh, what have you, um, there's a reason to be optimistic, certainly if, if Gilfie's in the lineup, that at some point if we're applying enough pressure we've got the finishers in front of goals we've got the creative players both in the center and out wide both in the wingers and the fullbacks that you'd expect we're going to find a goal or two and and we we'd be able to do enough to to win this pretty comfortably without gilfie now it's a real interesting litmus test of the rest of the attacking talent around um we have at times this season been uncomfortably prone to just throwing to bring the ball up in the wide areas because that is usually where we like to progress which is neither good nor bad on its own but we progress into those wide areas and we're a little anxious to just put the ball into the box at the first opportunity we get um, if particularly in the absence of Gilfie, um the 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 motion becomes that, that we're just getting the ball into wide areas and trying to cross it in um, that has the potential to be a problem uh especially if Richarlison gets a start up top uh, obviously adding Dom or Chenk um gives you a better opportunity to to put those some chances like that home but even if Gilfie is not playing i think it's vital that the players who are on the field find a way to use the central channel to create opportunities that that we're going from outside to in inside without just playing the quick and easy direct cross if we can do that successfully and I think that they can I think that this group can even without guilty uh then I think it's still a relatively comfortable game um but I also think that the longer the game goes without Everton scoring a goal potentially the more anxious those wide players are going to get the more Hopeful crosses we're gonna be playing into the box, and if we lose our attacking composure and resort to just whipping in cross after cross, uh we could be in for a bad time
0: well, chris, real
2: so quick
0: before, i'm going sub- Go real, real quick chris before you you get into this um Adam, just on your what you're saying about the tactics if we don't have guilty, I think you know we have been talking about you know from a selection standpoint uh how we would we would do it in attack I think. It would be more of a uh, that's more of a shout to not have Richarlison play on the left if we are going to go wide, just because we know his crossing and passing ability hasn't been the best this season, um, and and really uh, he hasn't shown us much compared to that of you know a Bernard or a Walcott or a uh, uh, Lookman.
1: Yeah, if there's you could make a whole lot of arguments around it, and I definitely think that that that's one. The sneaky thing about Richarlison, and we've seen it so far from him this season. I said he's good in the air. You know, he's not a, he's not a huge guy. He's, he's pretty good in the air for a winger. I think if he's paired, you know, with, uh, Adam or with, uh, Cenk, then he's got a little bit more of an opportunity to kind of be sneaky about the matchups that he picks up in the air. Um, but even if he does play on the left, you would hope if he is out on the left and we are in a spot where we've got to be, be sending in crosses that they would be coming from Lucas Digne who is a very good crosser of the ball, as opposed to Richarlison, who is not. So I I don't know necessarily if Richarlison out there on the left is a bad thing if we are cognizant about who is playing that final ball from the left, and it's Dinya as opposed to Richarlison. And then if we're coming down the right, and there are two true strikers in up top, again, assuming there's no Gilfie, and a Richarlison on the left wing, now you're talking about a situation where you really create matchup problems for your opponent because if you've got Dom, Shank, and Richarlison all lurking, if you get a good ball in from the right, somebody's going to find it, you would hope.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's all fair, and I think that my the point that I was going to make is, is just that even if Guilty passes a fitness test or what have you, I I think this would be an interesting match to sit him rest, kind of take a load off of that ankle injury, and just see what, what the attack has to offer without him. You know, this is a really good opportunity to get three points and hopefully inflate your goal differential. But in terms of maybe the most valuable player on the team, there's also no reason to rush him out there if he's if he's got something going on. So I, I'm kind of leaning towards just regardless of whether Gilfie's healthy or not, just sitting him down in this one and and letting what will be, be.
0: Yeah. And, and Adam, go ahead. Uh,
1: it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting proposition for the team as we kind of, you know, we've kind of talked about this, um, that we're kind of at an interesting crossroads where are we a, are we the, the best of the rest among the, the Premier League? And B, if we are, are we pushing legitimately for a top, a top six spot to, to break in probably ahead of United or against Arsenal? Uh, and I think that attitude is an interesting one to see from Marco Silva's perspective because I'm curious, does Marco Silva think that the team that he's got right now is good enough to do what needs to be done against Cardiff without probably it's most important attacking player. I don't know what the answer is, but it's a really interesting point to bring up Chris, because I think that tells, I think that Silva's answer to that question tells you a lot about where management thinks this team is right now along in its process.
0: Yeah. And I, you're right. It's, it is a great question. And I think it, also plays into you know the derby in a, in a couple of weeks or a few weeks that is is certainly going to be in the minds of of all of the the personnel at at Everton uh definitely going to be something they're thinking about and I guess this is a question for you guys how much should Marco Silva be using this match to prep for the derby week uh at the derby week a- the week after and and Chris will go to you on this and also um you know like can this Cardiff game, you know, looking forward to Liverpool, be some sort of a trap game for us where we're looking too far ahead and we get ourselves into a little bit of trouble?
2: So I'm confident enough in Marco Silva's management at this point and in the players that we have to where I'm not particularly concerned with it being a trap game. I do think that there are opportunities here to prep for the, for the match against Liverpool the next week. There are a couple of decisions that – that bear watching um, in terms of who pairs with Michael Keane It I believe it's at, at Anfield. Correct. And they're not Richarlison plays up top. So those are things that Silva can possibly toy around with in anticipation of that match. But in the end, I think that this is such a good opportunity to get three points with, with relative ease that you don't really want to toy around too much against Cardiff just get this one done and then think about Liverpool later because you know no disrespect to anyone but playing Liverpool is a difficult proposition and I'd I'd rather just not mess around against Cardiff and just go ahead and go for the jugular
1: Yeah I uh, I completely agree you know and I I don't frankly I don't think that this team has earned the right to uh to make changes in a forward-looking fashion in a home game against a team like Cardiff. This is the same team that drew at home against Huddersfield 1-1 at the start of September. And like I said before, I think Huddersfield and Fulham are so far and away the worst two teams in the, the league right now that that's, you know, that's a bad result to have dropped two points at home to Huddersfield. And then two weeks later, they they got beat up by West Ham at Goodison Park as well. Um, Obviously, we've seen a lot of improvement in the home form in, in games that are eminently winnable since then. Uh, but it's, (laughs) it's still the same, the same group of guys. Um, you know, Richarlison had not played in those games, obviously, in the, the aftermath of his suspension. Um, but it's still the same core group of guys. And as much as I am very happy with the form and the recent performances, to me there's there's no way you can approach this game at anything less than 100% uh because uh, we we've, we've seen this match become a, this type of match become a trap game too many times to allow it to even be anything close to that
0: yeah i agree i think you know we got to go out there and get the w cuz three points you know no matter who you play uh they're not easy to come by and when you can go out there uh, press your foot down on the gas and and go for them and and really attack and and wrap up an easy three points. You gotta go for it in that situation. And to wrap things up, guys, really quick, let's go into some predictions. Adam, we'll start with you on this.
1: Um, I think as Chris alluded to earlier, um, I think with the way that the form has been for Everton in general and specifically at home against these, you know, mid to lower table teams, if Gilfie plays, I think this one has the potential to get out of hand in Everton's favor because I think that there's a lot of confidence right now. And, you know, this is a match where we could get rolling and beat somebody, you know, three or four nil, uh, especially if we can get something early. I don't know if Gilfie's going to play at this point. Um, So I'm going to go two nil. Uh, to Everton right now, I think, uh, I think the defense has looked strong. I think they find another clean sheet in this one against, uh, you know, an offense that, as we've said, is better than we expected, but still is, is not particularly good. Um, and I think even if Gilfi doesn't play, there are too many offensive weapons on this team for them to fail to, to find the goal, provided that Marco Silva approaches this match with the seriousness that it deserves.
0: Chris?
2: Yeah, I'm similar, and I think it's going to be a little bit worse for Cardiff than Adam said. I, I think this is going to be something like three or four to nothing. I just – Cardiff don't have the – Cardiff don't have the men for this, honestly, to to keep up with what Everton have to offer. And, you know, they, they've they beaten Crystal Palace at home. They've beaten Fulham at home. They've beaten um, – Brighton at home recently and it, as I mentioned earlier and as Adam alluded to this is somebody is overdue to to just get absolutely wiped out and I think that with with the derby in the the in the game that this is this has the potential to get pretty ugly
0: yeah I, I agree um, as well I think we win this one Um the score, you know, it can be different despite whether we have Guilford or not. But I think overall we, we definitely win this one, keep a clean sheet as well. Um, hopefully build some momentum. You know, we got a good little streak going here. Obviously, uh, you know, Manchester United, we lost, but other than that, we've been doing pretty well over the past, uh, group of games and hopefully keep that going with Cardiff into the Liverpool game, give us some confidence, momentum going into that and hopefully, um, come out with a good result from that. But, guys that's all the time we have for today uh thanks chris and adam for joining me to talk a little bit about everton got the international break coming up so we got some fun things coming for you uh on next week's podcast but stay tuned keep listening to uh, keep uh, following twitter keep listening we'll talk to you guys next week